Thank you for joining us on Tea Time with Melissa. I am Melissa Roberts, and I am so excited about this conversation that's about to happen. In light of the tragic events that have taken place in our communities, where innocent African Americans have been killed at the hands of the very individuals we look to to serve and protect us, something is very wrong with our society. It is important for us to have this conversation and not wait another moment. Now, you might say that, you know, this is not the first time this conversation has happened. What makes this time any different? Well, I say that it's time the church speaks up, talks about it, and acts on it. So this will be an uncut and raw episode because I feel that it is the only way we can make the necessary change humanity needs today. Join us for race reconciliation and what role the church needs to play moving forward. We have a panel of guests that will be discussing this topic um, from our communities and we want to move forward. So let's go. Tea Time with Melissa. Welcome back to Tea Time with Melissa. Let me introduce our panel today. I'm so um, humbled that they have all so graciously agreed to sit down with me and have this conversation. And I'm going to start with my pastor, Pastor Ron Crum. He is uh, the pastor of Griffin First Assembly. Thank you, Pastor Ron, for hosting this podcast in this beautiful sanctuary here at Griffin First Assembly. It's my joy to host you and be a part of this. Thank you so much. Uh, we have Pastor Gwinnett Watson here. She is a pastor of New Faith Missionary Ministry. Amen. Glad to be a part. Amen. We have Jennifer, Miss Jennifer Cresswell. She is a minister, a dynamic speaker and teacher from Griffin Christian High School. So happy to be here today. We also have Chaplain Horace Cutter Jr. with Southwest Christian Care. And I'm your brother. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me to be on this panel. Thank Absolutely. You. And we also have my dear husband, Stephen Roberts III, joining us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Thank you so much again, each and every one of you, for your time and your desire to have this much-needed conversation. So let's, let's start here. Uh, we all, I believe, if anyone who is breathing and, and, and feels anything, um, can recognize that this country is hurting. Um, most importantly, the face, I feel like the face of humanity has been painfully scarred over the years with evils of racism, discrimination, and prejudices. Not only is this a societal issue, but it has unfortunately plagued the church for many years and had stemmed from the 1800s. Um, Dr. Tony Evans calls this the inferiority myth which holds America hostage. So to begin the process of breaking this down, he says this, and I quote, to begin this process, both black and white Christians must demythologize, demythologize, that's a long word, the myth of inferiority so the mental fog that clouds the racial atmosphere can be removed. Both of us will 
will then be free to relate to each other on our mutual strengths derived from the biblical-based understanding of our heritage as it is rooted and grounded in the God, in the God, and then he quotes scripture, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And that's from Ephesians 3.15. So let me just start here. Um, I'm going to start with you first, Dr. Crum, if you don't mind. Sure. Dr. Crum, did I mention that he's newly voted lead pastor yes. of Griffin First One Assembly? Week. <laughs> <laughs> One week. Um, let me just start here, Dr. Crum. Why is it fact that the church is the most segregated place to be on Sunday? And what is your perspective on this? You know, um, that is... Isn't that and crazy that we accept that and believe that that's okay? That's crazy it is. But it, it, it is. I think it's just like everybody feels um, like there's an, uh, I like that word when you said mythologize. It is. It's a myth that, you know, we all have found it to be so, born into it. It starts in the home, starts in past generations. And so we all accept it as, a, as being normal and okay. And then uh, there are situations like this happens, and it becomes very apparent that the church is not doing anything any more different than anybody else to help this issue. In fact, we're perpetuating it because we're allowing this, and we're, we're saying it's okay. And so we come in, and everybody chooses to uh, gravitate toward their connections, their networks, and all of those things. And before you know it, you know, you're like me, you're 60 years of age going, what happened to my life? Where did this all happen? Yeah. Uh, interesting for me was I was a young pastor in West Virginia, grew up in West Virginia, went to a general council. Every two years, our church goes to this council, and they introduce a speaker. And they said, this is Bishop G.E. Patterson from the Church of God in Christ. And then they told the story, said, watch the story on a screen, and they had this thing called the Memphis Miracle, where... Suddenly I realized and found out that Assemblies of God had came out of the spiritual loins of Bishop Charles Mason, whom had really mentored our early leaders from the days of all the way of Azusa Street. And so I came back to Charleston, West Virginia going, you mean I have a whole part of my family that no one told me about? And so I just went after him. I went after him. His name was, he was Minister Bruce Hogan became elder, become bishop now, and uh, we just decided, you know, I told him, I, I said, I sat across the restaurant table and said, well, why didn't you tell me you was my brother and you didn't tell me that? And, and we, we broke down and tried to model that. But it's a shame that it is. It's a shame. But I'm going to tell you, it comes out of ignorance. It comes out of, to me, if you want to talk spiritual, it comes out of a stronghold. Yes. If you want to talk, you know, uh, culture of America, it comes out of all of the, that we've been birthed on. And, and the reason that we are what we are, the why we have what we have right now, ignorance, it comes out of pure ignorance and mentally, comes out of a lack of education, comes out of our fathers not modeling anything different. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And, and I was just reading some information last night that ties very well into that, and it talks about the history of America, even back to slavery, and how we are dealing with these strongholds today as a result of why the church didn't stand up appropriately then. Yep. Yeah. So thank you, Pastor Ron. 
Um, Chaplain Cutter, what does the race reconciliation mean and why is it important for us to pursue it? Well, one thing I've hear, heard a lot in the past couple of weeks about racial reconciliation. And one thing I, I've keyed in on is that we are taking, as the church, we're taking the model of reconciliation from the world. How do we come together? We do things that the world does. But if we look back in centuries past, the world stole models of life and living and professionalism from the church. And so that helps us to know that the church is supposed to be on the lead end of reconciliation. It's supposed to be modeling reconciliation in our world. And, and one thing about reconciliation, um, if you know anything, all of us are above the age of 25, so we all would know that um, when God wants you to know something, he doesn't just want you to know it in your head cognitively. He wants you to have an experience of knowing what he wants you to know. This is like our walk in Christ. That's why we, we accept Christ at an early age and then we grow up and we say, whoa, it's different. I got to really act out these things that Christ calls me to do. And that's the same thing with reconciliation is we have to act it out even to the point that when people ask us, well, why are you two guys together? Then we can talk about the reconciliation that's already happening. And see, what we take is we take this word and we preach it and talk about it. And I heard a, a wise teacher, my friend, he would say, if you, if you want to not do something, you just start talking about it. <laughs> because you'll be talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. And that's what we've been doing for years. I think for the past 40 years, the church has been talking about reconciliation, but not modeling it. And so actually that is opposed to the actual way that God wants us to live out our lives. He wants us to use words to describe what we're doing in, or, so that people can understand what is happening between you guys. And so that's why our life is not, uh, as a Christian, our life is not an um, indication of us being saved because of what we do. Our life as a Christian is showing that we are saved because of what we do. That God has already chosen us, that God has already placed us in his family, and that he's asked us and commanded us to go to those hard places in history, in life, in reality, and actually live out what he wants us to do in the world today, no matter how hard it is. And if you look back in the centuries of Christianity, we have always, the church has always faced the toughest, hardest places and be able to come out with models that are incredible and they're life-changing to anybody. And you'll see uh, atheists that turn to Christ because they see Christians acting in a way that's hospitable to one another, that's loving, that's caring, that's engaging. And those things are what's important for the church to do at this time, not just to talk about it, but to actually do it. And that's what will change. That's what will change the model for the church. I don't think that uh, we can ask sinners to do something different than what sinners do. They sinners do what they do. They sin. So we can't look for the world to preach to the church and say, this is how we do it. Because they've been doing it many years and it's been and upside down. Right. So it's time for us to speak up. It's time for us to do something, not just speak up, but do something and invite people that are different from us Absolutely. into our private places mm -hmm. and our safe spaces in order to have the conversations, those hard conversations that need to be had.
and still walk away from those conversations loving loving one another one another mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. even if we don't we can't move the needle all the way over but we right. move people when we sit down with people that's right. we do that's when right. we move towards them yes. exactly yes. yes that's right yes 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 okay so uh pastor watson what does racial inequality mean and why is it important for the church to talk about it um understanding that we continue have my mic. <laughs> Amen. Um, understand that we continue to have issues with the specialty groups that exercise their privilege over and and other groups in the areas of eco economy, um, suppression, opportunities, and resources. Even having knowledge of such doesn't always allow for um, access. Um, it's good for members to understand the position and understand on these topics and doing what's needed to protect the impact of members. Um, I also, I wanted to add something um, personal about interracial. Um, I can speak personally from this is because my son-in-law is, is Caucasian. My daughter-in-law is biracial. So um, I think it's dear to me because I get approached with it a lot. Um, or when we're out in restaurants or uh, just out, period. We get approached, you know, with the looks and, and, and sometimes some saying. So I think, um, and I'm probably rambling um, a little fine. bit. You're fine, you're fine. Amen. But um, I think the reason I brought that out is because a lot of times, you know, just from being in this seat, I, di I didn't expect to be in this seat, but this is who my daughter chose. This is who my son chose. And so it's dear to my heart. And for it to be in my church now, um, it is accepted. Um, my my church has, I, I can't say that it wasn't ever embraced because the teaching and preaching that my husband and I taught was to embrace, to love everyone. It didn't matter of your culture, your race. It didn't matter mm -hmm. um, whosoever will let them come. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's dear to me because and, and, and um, we should be accepting of interracial in all races because if we're preaching and teaching it, that we got to live it. Right. And I think some one of you all said it is very profound that we got to be role models mm -hmm. um, and, and show everyone. So um, I guess I would say without rambling any further is that not just because my son-in-law is Caucasian or my daughter-in-law is biracial, but I've learned to accept because of the simple fact that it's, it's, it's one of the commandments that we are to love. Amen. Yes. So like my brother here said that we have had many conversations about race and um, loving one, one another, and it has all really just been talk. You're, you know, we're not really living out those things. Um, I mean, what can we do to live some practical things? Because if, if anyone who is listening has, you know, if you've listened to Tea Time with Melissa, I am all about practicality. I'm all about offering ways for um, individuals to be able to take on a task that may be a little scary for them, whatever it is, and we're talking from running a mile, could, that could be scary yeah. to some, right. to, <laughs> I mean, that could be scary to some if you're not used to being, you know, running, yeah, to um, something as deep and as um, prevalent today as race and relationships. 
you know, how do we make changes in our small circles, starting with our families, our homes, our churches? How do we do that? How do we do that? Um, how do we get past just the talking? We do it. We do it. Um, it goes back to what um, the chaplain said. We, we actually allow them to see us doing it. We don't just go out um, and, and minister or put our, our um, flyers on doorsteps of just the, the black race, but we do it to the Caucasians. We do it to the Hispanics. Mm -hmm. We do it to everyone. Mm -hmm. I think we, we are the first partakers, mm -hmm. that we should be that first role model to show our members that it's okay to go out. Um, I, and if I may, real quickly, I'll use, for instance, um, my church is, is pretty large and a lot of people comes over and want to, you know, um, use the sanctuary for weddings, funerals, this, that, and the other. And um, there was um, a Hispanic pastor that was, you know, wanted to use my sanctuary. And I embraced him and I opened it up and it was not any different. And I embraced that. And even some of us went to the service. Mm -hmm. And so I think it, it starts with us breaking yes. that barrier, Absolutely. showing our congregation that it's okay. And I even asked that some of my members would participate. Come on out and listen. We didn't understand a lot what they were saying. <laughs> but, um, you know, it wasn't an interpreter there. But we embraced that. So I think we, we are as leaders, we need to start. We need to take that, um, that authority to say we need to teach them. Amen. Absolutely. I think I love what Dr. Crum always says. Every crisis presents an opportunity. And we're at a crisis, yes. definitely. We've been at crisis in this nation, in this, in this subject before, right? But here we are again, we're in a crisis. Yep. And so to me, I, I, I do, we want change, but until the church decides to make this an issue. Mm -hmm. yes. and, and by deciding to make it an issue, that means, that doesn't mean we're going to have a prayer breakfast and invite all the different races and then sing Kumbaya and leave and go home. It means we're going, we're willing at a very fundamental level to be as uncomfortable as we need to yes. be, to live in tension, to live in, to maybe look foolish or silly, um, to do what we don't know how to do. Sometimes you get so uncomfortable because you're really not sure what's expected. Mm -hmm. But until we decide that this is going to be an issue and that we're going to make it an issue until we work through it, we will not see change because we, we do these little things and then we feel better about ourselves and we go back to our own little arenas. But mm -hmm. I think it's really yeah. about a choice, a decision that, a repentance that we have dropped the ball in this and no one's ever been willing to really carry it and go. And I think that that's the time we're in. That really is. It's a divine opportunity at the moment. Absolutely. Totally, that's exactly yes. what I, you know, when I listen to Jen, I get my heart just rings because love has to precede the change. Mm -hmm. I have to love you enough. I'm here because I love you and, mm -hmm. and you guys. And now I, I've got a Chaplain Horace's uh, relation that we've That's begun right. here and, and Pastor Watson here, whom I haven't yet to meet the pastors in the city yet. I've, I've been invited, but that's what I had to move toward Bishop Hogan. I went now. Uh, we have to share the resources. We have to make it. It was not convenient yeah. to go preach for him, him preach for me always, but we, we were intentional. I think it has to become down to where you're going to share resources. You shared your building. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, we have a lot of different ministries in our, and that we have the same. We have a Hispanic campus here mm -hmm. on this campus, right. but I have to, there's not everybody always happy about who gets what space. <laughs> and I have to advocate for all of them right. so much. They don't know whose side I'm on. <laughs> 
And that's what we've got to do yeah. is we have to share resources. We've got to be intentional. We gotta, we're not going to, you're not going to change people's mind, but we have to act our way. We have to, I mean, make action. We have to do it. We have to model it by what we do, and then others will come along. That's right. Absolutely. Did you have something you wanted to say, Jeff? Yes, I did. Yeah. One, of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Jesus told about the, the unjust or the disrighteous, the dishonest steward. And what happened was that dishonest steward, a crisis was created in his life. He was getting ready to get fired. And so he was a steward over his household. And, of course, he was taking a little bit off of the top of what he um, uh, managed over those persons that owed his manager. And Jesus says at the end of that story, I have pulled it up here. He says, um, he says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means with means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. And I think what Jesus is saying, that if this unrighteous, unrighteous steward yeah. could see clearly enough into the future to make advances for his master so that he would be okay, why can't the sons of God, those that are chosen by God, make advances in this world mm -hmm. for eternity yes. for our master? And we have let the ball drop because we're only considering our church, our nation, our home. And what has to happen is we have to actually do what we're asking the world to do. We should be the ones showing them to do it and then explaining what we do. I know you quoted uh, Tony Evans. He's got this great saying. He says, a, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. And I like that because mm -hmm. if we as the leaders actually sit down across the table with, with people of other races and colors and different, if we do that and model that before the members, then they will be okay with yes, it. Yes. We I have agree. to actually do it. There's a saying in our presbytery. We say uh, anything that's done by yourself, any ministry that's done by yourself is wasted ministry. Mm, you good. have to take somebody yeah, else with good. you. To, and I, I love that when I train chaplains to actually take them into the room to see that dying patient. And then they can see how we react to one another, how we connect with one another, how we build relationship with another, one another so that that person can feel like a person that's loved by God. They don't feel like that in the midst of a uh, terminal illness right. or their body is racked with pain or cancer is eating them up. They don't feel like that. Mm -hmm. They feel even at odds with their own self because yes. they're becoming a different person. But we have to show that, that they are a real person, still loved by God, mm -hmm. still person worth coming to see and still loving on them. And if I can model that before another new oncoming green chaplain, then guess what? That model will go cross culture, grow cross, yes. the, and that's the way God has deemed how we move the church along. Not by these masses of being able to preach to 10,000 people at one time, but one by one by one. Where is your place of influence, and what are you doing to advance, not your own cause, but the cause of Christ in the world? Yes. Where's the gospel message being lived out? In your life. Yes, and I'm so glad you said that. What is your place of influence? Because it really is time for us to use 
our influences, whatever that might be. I mean, for me, it's this little lowly podcast that I love doing and coming in and encouraging people um, from all walks of life. Um, but it definitely, I mean, we have to use, we have to use our classrooms. We have to use the church. We have to use our communities, our neighborhoods. I don't, I don't know, do neighbors still go out and meet their neighbors as they move into the community anymore? Is that a thing? The I mean, before the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> before, before the pandemic. No, but right now, I know right more now, my definitely I've not. They might be like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> no. But um, yes, we actually have to take the move. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue on. I have this question that I want to ask you, Jennifer, and I know that you will give it to us raw <laughs> and uncut. What do you think when you hear this statement? Slavery was over 200 years ago, and I did not have anything to do with it. That was my ancestors. So let's move on. You know, when you talk about racial rec reconciliation, I think the first step is acknowledgement. And so when I hear that statement, I hear a person who refuses to even start a conversation. It's a lack of acknowledgement. And you are so correct. Slavery is hundreds of years ago at this point. However, the effects are still here. Um, and in some ways, and some of the effects have only gotten worse over the years. Something that you don't deal with, it doesn't just go away. Right, it doesn't right. just clear up on its own. It is, in fact, fomented. And now it is such a mess at this point. And so, um, so... When I hear that, I say, we have to acknowledge that there is something wrong, yes. that there is a problem. As a believer in Jesus Christ, my brothers and my sisters, when they are in pain, yes. I can't turn my face and go, well, it's not affecting me, right. so I'm not in pain. Yes. I hurt too. We're all part of a body. Yes. And so yes. when my brother or sister hurts, I hurt too. I yeah. take it here too. I, it doesn't matter the color of my That's skin. Right. And so um, I, I feel like if I could say anything to my Caucasian brothers and sisters, I would say to us, we need to drop the defensiveness and I hear it so many times when well, my grandparents didn't own slaves or I'm not even from the South or whatever. And I just say, what, what place does that have? Scripture right. says, as far as it depends on you to get along with every person, right? And what it, that doesn't help the situation. So I say, I, I really think it's a time for us to listen. Sometimes listening can be the first step in healing. If we will just mm -hmm. listen to our That's brothers good. and sisters and listen to their story, because I assure you their story is different yeah. than your story. <laughs> Absolutely. I assure you their perception is different than your perception. And here's a newsflash. Your perception may be wrong. Yeah. You may not, you may not have all the facts. Right. And so I say we should, we should start just by listening and drop our defensiveness, right? And then my, my other thing is, I mean, I, I wasn't involved personally in slavery, but I have definitely benefited from a system that, that was created by it. And so I feel like it's a time for us to repent as a nation of what has gone on and why have we not stood up up to this point and why have we not cared enough to make a change and I always tell my boys until you've cried about it you better not talk about it mm -hmm. and that's really where I feel like we need to be we all we, we we have a corporate situation that needs to happen yeah but every single person has a role to play and we need to get on our face and we need to cry about the fact that slavery is in the soil of this country Absolutely. and that the and the repercussions of it are still happening yes. and, and until something moves um, we need to be willing to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, if I can add, I'd say, if we don't do that, now, what would happen right now? Just what would happen if four policemen called a press conference without their lawyers? 
and they would fall on their face in front of America and say we were wrong and that we realized that we have lit a match that has caused America to, though they weren't the, the initial cause. The initial right, cause came right. 200 plus years ago, mm -hmm. but they were used mm -hmm. by darkness and evil and hate. But what if they themselves would get in front of cameras and just say, forgive me, please. Yes. I, I believe and know that the justice system ought to do to me anything that's supposed to be done to me. Right. But because they have lawyers, you know, yeah. we know there's another yeah. legal yes. system yeah. who works for often Caucasian advantage or whatever you want to call this. See, I, I don't even know what I'm, because I don't know what the right words are. <laughs> See, I don't know. But I'm just going to tell right. you, if they didn't okay. have their lawyers in the room and they just say, forgive me, we could probably shut some of this down because it's fueled hate it's, and it's evil. Yes. But it's still, Jesus is still the answer to all yes. this. Because yes. I have to have a moment when you say weep about it. Exactly. Until they weep about it, they shouldn't be talking about it. And That's yet right. we know systems take over mm -hmm. that are controlled by powers. Mm -hmm. And they are absolutely in, a, in, a, in inequality is at the root of it all. Yes. Yes. And I like to kind of piggyback on that, Pastor Crum. That was great. And I think that what we need to realize is um, there are people that are definitely being uh, victimized at the race at in the race racial situation mm -hmm. but it's also another perspective that we need to have as far as Christians are concerned now if you think about it in the series of history of the Jewish people you know now every one of us knows that the Jewish people people are one a race of people that have been mistreated thrown to the side crumped on <laughs> stepped mm -hmm. on call and we could call them victims but they never claim to be victims. victims. And in the scripture, you never see where God says his people are victims. Why are they not victims? Because they're connected to him mm. and they trust him. And that's one thing we have to get past because you got, you got good and bad actors. You got people that want to change the situation, but for their own reasons. So they dive in on that situation and continue to perpetuate something that might have been dealt with years ago, but they bring it back up. Uh, no young person in this day knows anything about Jim Crow. Young right. people don't know about anything about right. from what they read. Yes. And if they had faced it, it would be even worse. They only see the injustice that was done in the 50s and 60s or 40s. And so what we have to do is we have to help them to see what can we do now today yes. in order to change this. Not going back 40 years, not going back 50 years. What is happening today? What can we change? How can I live today in order to make a system different? Now, of course, I would say as a black person, we have to face our own racial issues. Yes, Because we absolutely. have those too. I remember absolutely. preaching in a black church a few years ago. I was assistant pastor there. And I preached a church, uh, sermon over the wall evangelism. I was talking about the Berlin Wall. And I was saying how people were getting messages over to the, the, the communist side of the Berlin Wall saying, yes, it's free over here. If you can get over to this side, you'll be free. And so that's what we need to be perpetuating that message into the church. And I preached that message in an all-black church, and I made a statement that said, I said, um, it's an indictment unto us that every one of us in here looks the same way. And you could hear a pin drop. Because mm -hmm. everyone at that moment probably felt their own 
the, the embedded racial yes. issues that yes. is in them that they're not willing to address and only point at white, yep. white brothers and sisters yep. and say, you are the racist person. No, we all, we all have are. racism yep. in us. Yep. It has to be a, a, affected. We have to approach it. We have to do something about it. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Okay, Dr. Ron, what is diversity and inclusion? You know, that's a, that's a buzzword yep. um, <laughs> in society. What does diversity and inclusion mean to you, and does it have a place in the church? Well, I, absolutely. We have to be. When I go into those two words right there, you know, it goes back to the New Testament church. Gets this, the Savior comes, go, ascends to the Father, Holy Spirit comes, and the first thing we read in the book of Acts is that there are Grecian widows being neglected. So it's the word neglect. Inequality comes from neglect. Diversity comes from neglect. And we're, the body of Christ is ev all of us, and we are withholding. We are neglecting the presence of God. And I'm, I don't have your gifts in my life. I don't get the benefit. Okay, the Jewish power of that church was neglecting Greek-speaking widows. Well, then later on, 25 years later, here's the same issue. They're not wanting the gospel to go to Gentiles, you know, and they're going to go into a famine. They don't know it. Whom is God going to use to feed that Jewish church is going to be those Gentiles. So Peter gets a, a vision. He has to, now you're talking about ingrain. It's so ingrained inside of him, monoethnic, one ethnic, mm -hmm. that he has to have a vision to be used in Acts 10 to get over the other side, though, over the wall, to the, to the <laughs> Gentile. And he says, he goes back to Springfield, I mean back to Jerusalem. <laughs> Springfield's my headquarters, I'm sorry. He goes back to Jerusalem, and he goes, I was just speaking, don't blame me, the Holy Spirit baptized him, I had nothing to do with it. He was trying to... Then Paul comes along. Paul, the reason why Paul goes to the Gentiles is because who wants a terrorist as an evangelist? Who wants a gift? In the, he's a terrorist. There's still stories of people whom he killed or was silent with, holding a coat to, or maybe out of his own hand. We're not sure all those things. And so they're going, the man who terrorized is saved. Yeah, I bet he's saved. I'm going to watch that for a while. But God says, I can't wait for the church to accept him. I'm going to put you over here. He gets on a missions trip and sees powerful things happening. And so now, you know, that moment in Galatians that happens, it says, it says that I, Paul says, Peter used to sit down and eat with the Gentiles mm -hmm. until some brethren came from Jerusalem and they got up. Right. And Paul says, I withstood him to the face. And he said, brother, I smell ham on your prayer. That's right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> And why? Because he didn't want to lose his privilege by stepping mm, off. Yeah. Yeah, because it was okay to eat with him until they come. Because am I going to lose? So all of that is when are we going to be, can I be so, in my own, I mean, can I get whole enough? I like your word. Mm -hmm. Can I get my insecurities at the foot of Jesus so much? Because there's gifts in your life and gifts that we must share. We must, mm -hmm. but I'm holding back the presence of God. Now, the practicality. Let's yes. go to pragmatic. Yes. yes. Practicality and mm -hmm. pragmatic. I was sitting there listening to practicality. And I go, yeah, practical. We inherit a lot of these systems and things. That's and true. we have to, again, be systemically intentional. That's true. About yep. addressing yep. 
those things. Yes. See, and when we do that, we have it takes education. Yes, it absolutely. takes sitting at the table yep. and eating with one another, mm-hmm. you know, and it takes that decision when it must be done and knowing that not everybody's going to be on board. I, there right. was a moment as a young pastor, I thought I had to have 100% before I went anywhere. And I, I, I probably blocked some of the will of God because I was waiting too long. Now I, don't, I know that you can not. That's not possible. But you have <laughs> to have, you have to have the growth yes. among but I think that's that's inclusion is we you know we talk about evangelism of who we want to evangelize we want to evangelize those who will bring in I used to say to my what we want is middle white income to pay their tithes okay I mean we we want them to come in well people don't come in paying their tithes right they sure don't they come in you know that's not how they come in, but they have to be trained. Yeah. But we, what we were doing is we set a model in our mind yeah. of whom Jesus wants to save. I think we better ask him, God, what are you blessing? And help us to get on board with what you're blessing. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. I just wanted you to make sure you put your, your <laughs> oh. microphone your, up. My your amens <laughs> in the mic. <laughs> okay, amens. so this is a question for all of you to address. Um, and I wanted to get your take. I wanted to get all of your takes on it because I think it's important that we all have a, have a say. We have, you have all earned a seat at your tables that you're at. You have earned a seat at your table. So what parts specifically must the church play in race reconciliation? And why is it important for the church to make the first step? So we've, we've kind of talked about this, but I want from each of your perspectives, what specifically you think that needs to look like and what first steps should look like, specifically from your place, your place of influence, where you are and who you're touching. Anyone? Anyone. Yes. I'll go first. I'm, sh- I'm short. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think from, um, from my seat, from, from my table, um, I, I say that we must confront and defeat hypocrisy. Um, and Romans 12 and 19 says, love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. And God loves us all. And all whom he created, he encourages us to do the same. Right. Amen. So, um, that's the standpoint I come from, um, that, you know, once we say what we say and mean what we say. That's right. Um, it goes back to what we've all agreed on and said um, here today that, you know, we got to be those role models and we have to stand up first and let everyone else know, listen, you know, this is the seat that I'm in and I want you all to follow. Right. So we have the platform to, to set the pace, right. if I may say. Right. So, um, yeah, let's defeat this. Um, let, let's, let's stop saying one thing and doing something Sorry. totally different. Um, I see a lot of that um, mm-hmm. going on, in, um, especially from a pastoral standpoint. We say one thing in the pulpit, but we do something totally right. different. So that's the standpoint yeah. I come from. Amen. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I, I think that you, that's a wonderful, we have to think about it in our own context. And for me, yes. uh, you know, I was introduced as pastor and I, I said to myself, I want to I immediately send a message. And I, you, you know, I gave a statement last Sunday mm-hmm. and I wanted to give it just out of my heart about, I just, I'm deeply grieved by that. So I, the second thing I did was I gathered the staff at our, we have both the 
our church staff and our Encounter Life, which was, we have four other campuses. And so I made sure it was an Encounter Life staff to start saying, okay, you know, I wrote on the board, are you prejudiced? And began the process of helping them see themselves and, and, and where they're at and grow. So I have to take people along with me. The, um, the preaching is my role. It's one of my roles, and I'm going to have to lift my voice. But if we don't do what we said, you know, it is hip- hypocritic. It is hypocrisy. So I have to be intentional in making sure that reconciliation is, the, though I wasn't a part of that. And, and being from West Virginia, you know, I, I used to jokingly say that we were the southern border of the north and the northern border of the, of the south. south. <laughs> so we're schizophrenic. We don't know if we're coming or going. But I, I often said West Virginia became a state because we opposed it. See, we opposed. And so, and then living as a union coal miner, seeing not racial uh, discrimination, but class discrimination and feeling that, knowing that, I feel the pain of that. So we, we've got to have people to feel. Yes. But we have to educate them too. And we have to give people time. You know, I'm a big about you can't move the me- needle all in one day. But I can touch it a little bit. But I have to earn the right to be heard from others Absolutely. by my credibility of doing exactly. and walking it through. So this is, this is a huge step that you're using right here yep. is it your is. platform. Amen. And I commend you for it. But I appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Jennifer? Um, when I think about what can we do now, and, and I, I think I have good news and bad news. So to me, the bad news is that we are in this position, we can make the argument that the church is the reason we're in the position we're in right now. Because, and and this will make me cry, we took the precious gospel of Jesus Christ that is about freedom for every human being. And we actually used it to leverage a position so that we could actually uh, rationalize keeping people in slavery, which Mm. blows my mind, but we did. (laughs) And so, and, and then over the years, we've still used the gospel somehow to to um, make it okay that we're, we live separate lives or whatever. And so that's the bad news. But the good news is, is that since we are really a part of the problem, we actually carry the solution. Yeah. Because every <laughs> physical battle has a spiritual battle attached. This, my friends, is a spiritual battle yeah. that we are in. I know if you're not in church or you don't know Jesus, you don't realize that. But that's okay. We understand it for you. And that's really going to be that's good right. news for you. That's this right. is a spiritual battle. And so a lot of times we sit around, we talk about reconciliation and all that. And this is all fun. I get a warm fuzzy from it but I'm telling you my enemy is the unseen one we have a common enemy absolutely and I think it's time that the church of Jesus Christ gets serious about the fact that we have a common enemy that is sending us both running and we need to come together and and root that enemy how by making it a priority by being intentional by backing up what we do with how we live my words are so useless if my life does not back it up my life preaches every day Mm -hmm. and so I had to make a decision a long time ago when I moved here and I have stories I could tell you that I was willing to live with an upraised eyebrow looking at me with people kind of looking down on me with kids my kids not getting invited to certain things because we were those people because we refused to play that game that it seemed to me everyone was playing I didn't realize you know I didn't understand immediately but then I realized there's a game that we play and we we have friends that we play with on the field the soccer field or on the basketball court, mm-hmm. but we don't invite them to our birthday right. party. Yes. And so we have to change that. If you care, 
If you're a believer, if you want something different in the future than we have right now, then we got to change something we do today. And that's going to be some activity on our part that says, I'm willing to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to be an outcast. I'm willing to sit on the edge or the margin of whatever the social society or social circle is, but I am not going to go on with the status quo because I believe that there is an answer in Jesus Christ for this situation, but it's not going to happen unless I speak up every single time. Every opportunity that I have, I take it. Every chance I have, I do something about it. I never miss an opportunity. That's good. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. You know, um, you know, the church has um, been um, really lax in being able to use its position, its influence at times than it, when it could influence. And um, that is something today we should really think about. We should really think about that as um, a sin against God. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Because Correct. we have not, that means that I'm placed my agenda yes. over God's agenda. Mm-hmm. And so as, as a chaplain, I mean, if you came into my office and met the people that I work with, I believe there's two other people that are black there. And, and all of the people I ministered to, I mean, this past week, I had three online meetings. We're talking about personal influence. I think in all of those online meetings, I had, um, well, I had meetings that I teach other chaplains. It's called CPE, Clinical Pastor Education. And there are three persons who are white in that class. So then I have two other groups that are grief groups. And most of the persons in those grief groups, and well, there's a few, but they are black and white. Mm-hmm. So we have to use uh, our influence to be able to help people to move towards a Christian or biblical mindset. And that's what I influence all of these persons all the time, is to help them to know, yes, I know you're looking for some kind of a technique to overcome your issue, your situation. You're trying to become a chaplain. You're trying to get to a place of influence. You're trying to be able to minister to people. You don't leave scripture out of the passage. Don't leave it out of what you're doing. Yes, I know you're trying to overcome grief, but don't forget the same God, the same people that taught you the verses when you were five years old. I just remember saying that the other day. When you were five years old, those same verses were for this very moment when you lost your loved one. For that, that was the support that you got. It's ingrained in you, but we have not utilized it for the right purpose. Is for the purpose of us becoming more like the kingdom of God on earth. And that's what we have just avoided, diverted, and done everything to be, because we want to, like Peter, we want to keep our status. And if we lose that status, then that means we're going to go down and we're going to lose some prominence in the society. But the church is not supposed to be afraid of the prominence in society. I remember when Moses was picking out these uh, judges. And, he, and, of course, Moses got overloaded <laughs> trying to judge every case himself. And so what God, his, his father-in-law told him, hey, listen, man, you got to get you some help. You're going to weigh right. yourself out and all the people are going to kill themselves. He's, you know, that's what he said. But then Moses takes all of these men and he places, of course, God said, this is what you want to do. This is right. And he places this responsibility of judging the people on these 72 judges. And he tells them, you are not to be intimidated by 
status or culture. Yes. You're not supposed to be That's intimidated right. by anything. You are supposed to judge righteously yes. because God has placed you in this position. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to judge righteously. If the person is wrong, they're wrong. They're wrong on all levels. Mm -hmm. If they're right, they're right on all levels. That's and right. we're supposed to stand beside that person yes. when they are right. That's right. We are supposed to be the persons that stand beside of using our influence to be able, because the persons who have influence in society who are sinners are going to stand beside the person that they agree with. That's automatically what they're going to do. If they agree with that person, if they play golf with them, they're going to stand beside them, right or wrong. <laughs> but the church is supposed to say, listen, we are standing beside this person to move up to this place or class because I see God working in him. Or I see an injustice that has been done against him. And that's what we're supposed to remember to do, that place of influence. Mm -hmm. We need to use that yes. and use it to advance God's kingdom yes. and not our yeah, own. That's, our that's, own. that's, that's yeah. what I see, yeah. that we've always, and, and strangely enough, and you look at different stages in society of the church in America, um, and, and some of that whole um, movement of the Presbyterian church at the beginning it was one church, but it had went through several splits because of racism in America. Mm -hmm. And what we have to overcome is that issue of who's gonna claim the status. We need to leave yes. stuff yes. alone yes. and cling ourselves to the cross of Christ. I think Paul says this in, in when he talks about in chapter five, when he talks about in um, um, First, Second Corinthians five, and he talks about the ministry of reconciliation, yes. and he says he says a strange phrase. He says, "The love of Christ compels us because if one died for all, then we count in our head that all are dead. All were dead. So we came from nothing. Yes. And so if we came from nothing, that means everything that we are." We owe it to Jesus. Right. Yes. It says in Revelation that all of the kings, all of those prominent people would take their crowns off and throw them down at the, yes. at the throne because they, don't, uh, they can't claim what that it took to get that, mm -hmm. that crown. It right. was all because of Christ. And just think of all the people that we think of who are prominent in this society, who have a place in society, who have influenced society and they're using it for their own good mm -hmm. and not for the cross of Christ. That's an indictment on the church that yes. we are using our own. And I think it's throughout the world. If you think about it, throughout the whole world, racism is being used yes. all over. Yes. Classism, racism, it's all yeah. over the place. And we need to stamp it out. And of course, it's not going to be stamped out completely in the world till Jesus comes. Right. But we need to work on it where we're at. Right. Our society, right. our generation has to work on yes. it in yes. our generation yes. and not try to pass it on to the next one or blame <laughs> it on the last one. Yeah, we right. have yeah. to work on it in our society. Yes. That's right. Thanks. That's right. Amen. You have, you have something else? I would just add what he said. I'm thinking about 2 Corinthians 3 where um, Paul says we are living letters. That's right. 
And I think about the church as a living letter. We're supposed to be an apologetic. We're supposed to be an illustrated sermon. We're supposed to have people look at us and go, well, why do they not have the problems that we have? And it's so unfortunate that at this time, they can't look at the church and go, well, what are they doing that's making this all different? But that's what our aim is. That's what our goal is. That's what we're supposed to be, a living letter. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Give us some comments. Okay, I'll give you a few comments. Um, I don't have, because everybody says some, Everybody's saying some awesome things, <laughs> and it's it's just right on point. <laughs> um, but what things come to my mind is is family. We are family. We're body of Christ. We're we we're, we're into that that family. And I'm not um, minister for so called like. Most, we are most all ministers. Yeah, yes, we. Well, yes, right. we all are ministers. Actually, I do have a ministry card, but <laughs> but I'm I'm a I'm a coach, um, and that's what I do, and that's what I was called to do. Um, but family, he comes to my mind, um, and then thought of family reunions, about funerals and all this stuff, and I thought came to my mind the other day about how, you know, you you go to a funeral, and then you see family you haven't seen in a long time. And then they, and I always, the statement always comes from somebody say, well, we got to get together more often, um, <laughs> you know, besides when it's a funeral, when somebody dies, mm -hmm. you know. And as um, us as a body of Christ, we need to get together more often and work together and do things to, to make our family yes. better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I may be good at carpentry, you know, and you may need some carpentry, because you're a different color, um, I'm not going to tell you how to do this. I'm not going to help you get better at this. Um, I'm just going to keep this over here because I'm, 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 I'm the black church, you know. Uh, uh, and, and, and it's just other things like that. Just We have to come and share with each other so we can all grow as a body of Christ. And it seems to be that there's um, within the, 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 the churches, the black church, white church, whatever, that there's... Um, there's a separation, but we have to be able to, we'll be willing to share our strength with each other so we all can get better. And it's about not the competition of, oh, I'm going to get more people than you got. Okay, we want to get all get these souls to Christ. We all in this one family, family of Christ, and it's about Christ and it's about Absolutely. building that that church, that, that church right there. And and where we can do that, because everybody's different. Everybody likes different type of music. Some like country music, some like hip hop, some like jazz, pop, whatever. Okay, but we have different, but it's still the ways to, oh, we make, you know, oh, I don't like the music over there. You know, I like this music, you know, I like this gospel song, upbeat or whatever. But besides that, you know, we have to reach the people out there that have these different likes no matter what color they are, they don't, they don't have the different likes. And as a body of, of a Christian, different churches, we have to um, find ways to, okay, reach the people. So I hear in Griffin, reach these people in Griffin, okay, and help each other to reach them. Not saying, okay, well, they're not going to come here, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to help them. I'm not going to really reach out to them. I'm going to let them, because they don't like our music or whatever it is, but help them help our brothers over here, okay, well, there's a group of ki people here that like this, and then you seem, you know, you, you, you're better at that than I am. 
So I'm going to try to help them because it's all about getting them to Christ. And I, that's, that's something, you know, comes to my mind. Um, and my part as a, as a coach, I, I, I just, I, I love working with the kids. I, you know, they, sometimes they call me, sometimes they call me late. So, and my wife said, who's that calling you? You know, but I'm, I'm still trying to help, help them to, to, to be better people. Mm-hmm. I'm using what I know, what I do as a coach to reach them and, um, and teach them how to love. And I use that. And uh, I'm going I'm to say this, and I, I mentioned I, have, I, I do have a minister card, but I got, I, the only reason I, I went to that class and I got it because I wanted to be better at reaching those kids. Oh, that's, awesome. that's the only reason I, <laughs> that's the only reason I did that, because I wanted to be better at reaching those kids for Christ. You know, because I, I coach, I've been coached for a lot of years, but, you know, just that part, I want to be, because that's my calling is to minister to these young people and ways to do that and to tap into that. Absolutely. So, Stretch, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Can I hop on that, Stretch? You you, you mentioned that about um, uh, uh, the family that gets together only when somebody dies. You know what, I'm, it's, it's what it threw my mind into? all of these issues of somebody dying mm-hmm. and exactly. then everybody wants to yes. jump on the bandwagon yes, exactly. of what they want, what we should do, what we should say. That's a dysfunctional family. Yeah. And I've seen dysfunctional families at the time of death. I'm, right. And I've seen functional families. And when a family acts right, when a person is at the death's door or when they die, when a family functions right, it's like a pronouncement across the city of what Christ can do with people that have faced a tragedy yeah. and know how to look up and live. And that's what the church has missed yeah. out on. Yeah. We have to be able to look up and live. Yeah. We don't yeah. have to look across the society and then wait till something happens yeah. for yeah. us yeah. to yeah. start, oh, now we need to talk about it. Right. We right. should be already acting like what we want to talk about before that happens, yes. and then we're already in the right place. Yes. But I rem- that reminded me, it's just like a dysfunctional family. That's what we act like in America. Then we yes. want to get functional. You can't do it. Right. Yeah. A dysfunctional family cannot become functional in the midst of a crisis. It can't do it. That's good. And that's what we do. Yeah. So Excellent. so the church has been acting as a dysfunctional family. That's yes. exactly right. For many, many years. Yes. And it's time for us to be functional. We've been now. reactors yeah. and not proactive. Yes. Yes. That's we need to be is. proactive. So I'm going to bring this podcast to a close. I mean, this is a podcast, but it's a great conversation. And I hope that these relationships here will continue with these conversations um, to better equip the church for moving forward. Um, with this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish with this quote again by Dr. Tony Evans. They forgot the biblical truth that to be members of the body of Christ means that preferences based on class, culture, or race are totally unacceptable to God. <laughs> And people who make such preferences are candidates for his judgment. And so that I want to end this podcast. And I thank you for joining us. 
I pray that you get a good listening out of this podcast and please share it because it definitely can be used to spark some conversations within your circles. So thank you so much for joining Tea Time with Melissa and have an awesome, awesome week. Peace. Thank you for having me.